I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. I want to welcome in Seth Greenberg, ESPN College basketball analyst, here to break down all the final four goodies over here. You know, I'm going to be one of these jerk hosts here, Seth, that asks you a couple of non-basketball questions. Don't you hate it when those guys do that? But I was just uh, mentioning um, well, apples. I don't have to answer them. I don't have to answer them. So <laughs> That's right. Answer. You just say next question if you yeah, want to. But... Stupid question. I'm going to say whatever I want anyway. So it makes no <laughs> Seth, I was just eating um, apples with peanut butter. Top-notch snack. I'm just curious. If you satisfy my curiosity, I respect you even more. What is the uh, the favorite snack, the go-to for you, sir? First of all, i got I to be honest with you. You guys called, called me to try to talk about the Final Four, and you want to know about what that – you know, snack I eat. Uh-huh. Whatever's in front, whatever's in front of me. <laughs> I would, I've, I've never been a big peanut butter and uh, and apple guy, so I can tell you that much. You know, I'm more of a sourdough pretzel guy and a diet coke. I'll be fine. <laughs> There you go. That sounds uh, lovely right there, Coach. I, I like that. Uh, um, and, and also, the last non-basketball question for me. It's MLB opening day. Are, are you a baseball fan at all, Seth? Yeah, he is. Yeah, there's only one team that plays baseball. Mm-hmm. The New York Yankees. So all the rest just kind of hang out. That's how I was going to uh, pivot, Coach. Happy opening day to you and diving into the Final Four conversation. A lot of hype probably deservedly so, about the UConn Huskies. Coach, as you've watched them throughout the tournament, as you've watched them all year, why is the reason they, they won't win the Natty this weekend, or, or on Monday, rather? I'd say if, UConn, uh, if uh, Tristan Newton spits it all over the place and they, they, put, they get real physical with Jordan Hawkins running them off all those screens they set for him, and they do a great job of running Hawkins off of all kinds of screens. Uh, I'd say that, and then maybe maybe uh, probably the last thing is either Wong or or Nigel Pack or Jordan Miller just get it going. But uh, teams are said and done. I was over at UConn's practice the other day, and and they they have a good focus. Jordan knows he's got to compete offensively as well, which is really important, and because that's what you have to do when you get one of the best players on the floor. But Tristan Newton in their losses, they average only about seven points a game, shooting like twenty percent from the three, and uh, not turning it over way too much. So uh, I think Tristan Newton, the teams that have beat him, got underneath him, pressured him, disrupted him, and which disrupted disrupted the rhythm of the offense. When you look at the two Final Four matchups, Seth, what do you feel most confident uh, that will happen on Saturday evening? Well, I mean, probably most confidence. I mean, Miami's going to try to control the tempo of the game in that game and, and not allow, you know, Connecticut to get out of the transition. The other game, I, I'm most confident that's about five times in that game against San Diego State that FAU's going to get a rebound by one of the six, four guys they have. He's going to push it. They're going to swing it. And San Diego State will not be matched up, and some dude's going to shoot a wide-open three because they are hard to match up with because your foreman is not used to either stopping the ball or trying to figure out where his guy is because he might be on the left side one time, he might be in the slot one time, he might be on the right side one time. You, it, it is hard to get matched up with FAU in transition. Coach, we've talked about a lot the last couple of months regarding NIL, its impact on college basketball, the wild, wild west that's at play for – 
pretty much every program in the country. When you look at Miami and you look at the influence of John Ruiz and you look at an ACC team that, that wasn't necessarily picked to be in this situation six months ago, how aggressive, if at all, do you think other Power Five conferences or other Blue Bud schools are going to take their NIL even further than they did before after seeing what Miami was able to mesh together or will it have no impact on it whatsoever? Jimmy, can you do me a favor? Yes, sir. Can you not call it NIL and just call it pay for play? <laughs> I, I can do that for you. No problem. Pay for play. I, 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 because it's not NIL. It's not a return on investment. Yeah, yeah this guy's gotten publicity because he's been so uh, brash in terms of his approach. I mean, telling Isaiah, well, I'm going to cut a deal with you. If you don't like it, you know what? I'll go get someone else. I mean, to me, that's embarrassing, to be honest with you. But every look, Miami's not alone. Miami just got the right guys. Yeah. I mean, they're not the only guys that are getting 400000 a year. Like, those dudes down in Bloomington are getting about 400000 a year also. And they're not playing, and they're, and they're not playing in the final They're field. not. You're right. So, so it's not like Miami's the only one. Uh, the problem is every single guy, like I just talked to a coach, I'm not mentioning school, like his whole team wants to go in, in, the, in the portal. It's not his team. It really comes down to the, see the We have these agents that are pseudo agents, agent wannabes that are trying to get 20% off of the NIL deals. So they're telling all these guys and they're shopping all these kids all over the country, right? When really they're doing it for themselves. They don't have unconditional love for those guys. They're just trying to monetize those guys. Like where the coaches that recruited them, who helped develop them, they actually have unconditional love for those guys. So like, they're going to shop those guys around. And you know what? It's like an NBA trade. You always know what you get rid of. You never know what you're getting. So you might get paid for next year using this past season as, as, as the conduit. Here's the deal. You're going to play for a new coach in a new system with new players. There's no guarantee you're going to be that dude again. So, you know, the NIL's here to stay. Free agency is ridiculous because I, I don't see NFL having free agency every year. I don't see I don't see the NBA having free agency every year. Uh, I don't see hockey having free agency every year. But oh, college athletics, we have free agency every year. That makes a lot of sense. Seth Greenberg, ESPN College Basketball Analyst, joining us here. How would you have handled this current era if you were coaching right now with NIL slash pay-for-play and free agency every year? I would, depending uh, on what level I was at, to be honest with you, I, I would try to keep my locker room together by getting everyone the same deal, and then if, and someone can get above that on their own, so be it. I would not be afraid to coach my teams. Too many guys. I, I sat with uh, an athletic director last night for dinner, who said, "You know, you got to find a balance between you know coaching your guys hard, but you know making sure that they don't leave." Mm-hmm. If you can't coach your guys hard and they don't want to be coached hard, and they want to be coached. They're not helping you win anyway. Yeah. So I wouldn't do. I wouldn't do a lot different. I'd coach them, and you know, say at the end of the year, you know what? Some of you guys work, are, you know, are in a good situation. We'd love to have you back. Some of you aren't. You know. I'll help you any way I can. Uh, you know, it, it's real simple. If you don't coach your team, if you're afraid to coach your team, you're, you're, you're cheating the kid that's playing for you. Go and coach your team and hold them to a standard and have an, you know, not empower them, but don't enable them. And then, you know what, at the end of the, at the end of the year, if they feel like it's not the right place. And I'd also, my pretense is if you help guys get better, Right, I would basically say to see like, hey, by the way, you came here, you got a whole lot better. You see the year you had, you want to risk that someplace you don't know if they're going to do the things that we do. 
That's how I would handle it. The coach, Seth Greenberg, ESPN College Basketball Analyst, nice enough to join us. You can follow him on Twitter, at Seth on Hoops. Seth, this FAU story and this ride for Dusty May, how special is it, and how do you like their matchup against San Diego State on Saturday evening? Right now, I'm leaning towards FAU winning this game. Uh, you can't hit what you can't catch. We saw it in the Tennessee game. Uh, Talked to all the coaches that have played against these guys. You know, the hardest thing about playing against FAU is that defensive transition. And then beating them to balls off the glass because there's going to be a lot of threes taken. What are they? They're up 30 threes a game. And when those threes are taken, you got to you got to come back and rebound the ball. you got to chase down balls. They're, they're getting them out of quickness. Their defensive pressure has been better in the tournament than it's been all season. Uh, can they continue to defend with a purpose? And then those two, you know, those two bigs are, are pretty good, you know. Vladislav Golden was a, was a joke. He was like, you know, he was like Vladislav Jokic. I mean, <laughs> you know, the other day, I mean, he was really, really good, and 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 the big kid is good too, uh, Rosado. I mean, he's good. So, I mean, uh, I think they're for real. I think that Dusty's done a great job of playing a little bit differently. They got a little bit of the feel of a VCU. Uh, in a way, uh, because of you know, they're, 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 it's more havoc offensively because how quickly they they bring it at you and you have to get matched up with them. So I, I think I think I I have them winning. You know, but Seth, I, I could change my mind. <laughs> we still got a couple of days. You know, you could change it, no problem. I'm curious how you would handle it as a coach. Where you mentioned three point shooting and the amount of attempts, some teams shoot it a lot. If it's just not your night, right? Like, how do you balance this is what we do, this is our identity versus we're cold as ice, we can't nail a three to save our lives, let's shoot more mid-range. How do you go about that for a team that shoots a lot of threes? You are your habits. You're not going to reinvent yourself for the NCAA tournament coming to the Final Four. You are your habits now. Obviously, you know, try to get how, – how are you getting those threes? If you're not shooting a high percentage, it, it might be how you're getting those threes. Are you getting them on paint touches? Are you getting them on ball reversal? Are you getting them in transition? Are you getting them post-ups so when the ball's kicked out, they're stepping threes? Are they good threes? Or are they, you know, we're just going to get a 30 threes? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I think that's – I think that's a, that's a big thing. And then, you know, obviously you want to get to the free throw line. And, you know, you want to you know, you get ahead of the defense. So, I mean, those, those things are a factor – as well, but uh, no, I, th- I think a big thing is you know you're not going to reinvent yourself for the NCAA tournament. The NCAA tournament's all about imposing your identity on the game. Coach, we're all basketball junkies here, so we're going to be watching regardless. But there's a lot of talk, and and I don't care about it because I'm going to watch it anyway. But there's a lot of talk about all oh, this Final Four. The ratings are probably going to be down, or people won't be interested as much. And maybe UConn's the only saving grace in that because they're the only blue blood or you know kind of blue blood program in terms of championship success of the four alive. If it is an FAU Miami national championship game why should fans still be interested and excited about that matchup should that come to fruition for monday night you want to use a championships crowd yeah i mean let's face it, the first week of the NCAA tournament is the greatest week yeah. in sport yeah from selection sunday to the end of the first week it's great well you got two teams trying to win a championship here's the deal the casual fan will not watch it it's the way it is Casual fan will, you know, why do more people watch a golf tournament with Tigers? In? Yep, yeah. yep, yeah. 
it's the way it is. But the basketball fan will watch it. And uh, I think that's kind of because the one thing about the NCAA tournament, it's not best of seven. So, you know, you've got to impose your identity and you've got to play well to win. If you don't play well, if you take it for granted, winning's hard. And the teams that advance, people forget, like, this is an FAU team that is 35-3. and three. You don't think those dudes expect to win? Sure. <laughs> like, you don't think those guys expect to win? I mean, they're 35-3. I mean... Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Seth, when you look in the uh, the crystal ball over here, what do you see in the final four? What do you see as a potential championship matchup slash champion here? Oh, I, 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 well, I, my lean is probably FAU and UConn, and you know, I, you know, my gut feeling is it's going to be UConn. Mm-hmm. I mean, UConn is the deepest team. They're the uh, they be offensively, defensively, from the three in the paint on the glass. They've got depth. They they don't rely on ball screens. They rely on people and ball movement, which is really, really important. Uh, you know, I, I just think that they're the most complete team. And it doesn't mean they, they, they can't lose. They can lose. Coach, what's your favorite, just personally, what's your favorite story snack? about this snack? Final I, Four? No, not, not, not Snack. Not, not, snack. not, not okay. snack. Story. What, Go with what's story. Your, what's your favorite storyline from this particular Final Four set? <laughs> you know, I, I think just the storyline in general is it's got to be FAU. I mean, it's, you know, it's that's not even, but I think like you look at UConn, they lost 6 8 in the middle of the season, and the season's long. You can't play it with the static around kids today, you can't play. At a very high level, they won their first thirteen, and then they, they lost six eight. Got in the league play, you can lose games in league play. So I think that's a that's a really good storyline. I love the Brian Dutcher storyline. I think he's a coach's you know coach's son. I'm I'm all for coach's sons. I think that's great. And then you got you know Jim Larinaga, who uh, the grandfather of them all. Uh, so I mean, there's great there's great storylines in this in this mm-hmm. tournament. I mean, it really is. Yeah, no doubt. Well, hey, Seth, we really appreciate your time today, man. Fun to talk to you, and hope you enjoy the Final Four. Go Yanks, Coach. Well, I, I'm just, I'm just happy that I, I, I got a chance to share my, my culinary expertise. <laughs> Sourdough pretzels and Diet pretzels Coke. And that's strong. It's a winning get, combination. It doesn't get much better than that. That's strong, Coach. <laughs> it's absolutely strong. We'll catch you later, Seth. Appreciate, it, Coach. All right, brother. You got it. Bro. See you. There he is, Seth Greenberg, ESPN college basketball analyst. I'm Brian No. He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. So I was thinking about this, Jimmy, with the Sacramento Kings. They clinched a playoff berth. A 16-year playoff drought is over. It's the first time they've clinched a playoff spot since 2006. And like you said earlier in the show... It's the longest drought in any of the major sports. It's not just the NBA. It's MLB, the NHL, the NFL. Like No team has had a longer drought than the Sacramento Kings. It's over with. And the thing that I thought of is that sometimes when you go through the downtimes with your team, it, it seems worse than it is like compared to other teams. Like More times than not, someone's going to have it worse than you. Not all the time. But more times than not, that's the case. And so I just started thinking about how many times have the Pacers been to the playoffs within that 16-year window? And I went back and looked. 
nine times, assuming they don't make the playoffs this year, which is I'm counting this year as well. They made it nine times over the last 16 seasons. So you start thinking about that. Kings hadn't made it once. Pacers made it nine times. They got bounced in the first round six times, but they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals twice. And one of those years, it was a game seven against LeBron and Miami Heat, you know? So you're losing to a team that's getting to the finals. And I think one of those two years won it all. So I I don't know, man. It's just one of those deals where when you're in the midst of it, when you're thinking about the Kings right now making a major trade with the Pacers, Kings make it to the playoffs. Pacers are, you know, seventh right now with the worst record in basketball. But I think the trade benefited both teams. And really, it's more of a positive thing where even though you're in the midst of, what, a third straight season not making the playoffs, imagine 13 more. Like, that's yeah. what the Kings just did. It, it's so funny when you go franchise to franchise and see where luck breaks and where it doesn't. And it's easy you are not saying this, to be clear, but it's easy to point and be like, well, look, people were talking about how the Pacers actually won this trade in some capacity. Look at the Kings. They have some bonus now. Mm-hmm. They're, uh, Kings, at least in terms of roster construction, or at least in terms of pieces that could go win now a little bit further along, at least in my mind when that trade happened, than where the Pacers were. Mm-hmm. just in terms of overall roster construction. But if you don't want to go that route and say, no, I don't agree with that, they were only at an over-under of, I think, 37 and a half wins from the books to start the season. It is just a, a true testament to what Sacramento was able to build and how Sabonis has flourished out there. On the flip side, Pacers fans are knocking on the door and it's easy to get frustrated and be like, oh, why did we trade away Sabonis? Because you saw what Sabonis and Turner and this roster looked like year over year over year. There was never a path with that construction of we're going to be in the Eastern Conference Finals or we're going to be a top two or top three seed in our conference. You're on the other side of the coin now. You have a nice young core. Continue to build and God, don't let it be. Don't let it be 16 years. I don't think they're on that pace necessarily, but uh, that's a dangerous water to get into and an easy headspace to get into. If you're a fan, you look at three straight missed seasons without the playoffs. It's just it seems so much longer than it actually is. Yeah, it's sort of like being a sports fan. Three years without the playoffs feels really, really mm-hmm. long. I'm not telling you it doesn't. It's just funny. It's like uh, it's almost like looking for a job. If if you're out of work for I don't know, say six months, it feels like a year and a half yeah. minimum. Yep. You know, it, it works like that as a sports fan. Three years without the playoffs feels really, really long. Imagine what sixteen years feels like. If you're a diehard Sacramento Kings fan, put yourself in those shoes as a Pacers fan. Thirteen more years. That is a long, long haul. So it just it sometimes seems worse than it actually is. I also think about this with the Colts. Look at their quarterback situation. It feels like a long time since they had a true franchise quarterback, difference maker, you know? But if you look at those four years after Andrew Luck, two of them were really good statistically. Like Phillip Rivers, you could do a whole lot worse than Phil did his year. And also Carson Wentz, you could do a whole lot worse than 27 touchdowns and seven picks. And the problem in a Colts fan's headspace, and this was a criticism that Frank Isola threw at us and threw at Colts fans last week, which is that they were essentially 
thought that they were on the precipice of this whole 30-year window of two great quarterbacks like what the Packers had with Rodgers and with Favre. You bookend Manning and Luck. Luck retires early. Now you're having to scramble, and now you're in this playing field of unknown for a large generation of Colts fans that maybe are a little used to it now four seasons in, but there are some adult Colts fans, a lot of adult Colts fans, that don't know anything other than Manning, Luck, and just right absolute continuity at the most important position in the game. Well, I certainly get that, where if you've tasted the good life, <laughs> you know what, you're used to yeah. like premium steakhouses and caviar and all this stuff. You're used to Five-star hotels, the whole line. Yep, yeah, yep. and now you're like, what is happening? I'm <laughs> staying at a shack right now. Like, I didn't even know what a motel was until now. But yeah, it seems way worse than it actually is. I think there's something to be said for that. It's just going back to the original thought of more times than not, someone has it way worse than you. If you think about the Colts' struggles at quarterback, it hasn't been great, but it's It's not even half a decade. If you compare that to the Cleveland Browns, you might want to add another two decades on top of these last four years, and you might rival something that looks like the Cleveland Browns and their dysfunctional (laughs) quarterback situation. It has been beyond awful over there. And and we'll see what happens with Deshaun Watson. But, I mean, if you just rattle off some of these names here, Jimmy, this is after Bernie Kosar. Just listen to some of these names. Mike Tomczak. These are all... Player, the quarterbacks who led the team in passing yards that year. Okay, they led the team. Mike Tomzak, Vinny Testaverde, Kelly Holcomb, right? Uh, Charlie Fry, Brady Quinn. Shout out Irish, didn't yeah. work out in the NFL. Uh, Brandon Whedon, uh, Josh McCown, Cody Kessler, Deshaun Kaiser, Jacoby Brissett. Like those are guys who led the team in passing for an entire season, and they just had one guy after another. So. Four years is not a long, dry spell compared to other teams. Yeah, anytime you have two McCowns that top into your quarterback rotation over the course of a dry spell of looking for a franchise quarterback, you're definitely kings of having it worse. The problem with this perfectly rational and reasonable discussion that you and I are having right now is that Uh it doesn't work for the sports fan. Like There's other things in life where like, hey, you know, I know you're maybe not happy with where your job is right now, but like, look at where you were before. Look at where you could have been or or look at that guy over there in the struggles he's going through it's easier outside of sports because sports fans that I know it I've lived it you know it Eddie knows it we're irrational human beings sometimes it's like okay that's great but what about me what about about what I'm going through I don't care about what they're going through oh hey listen I absolutely understand that there's no doubt about it but uh you know sometimes all I'm saying is sometimes you could feel like the heavens are falling more than they actually are yep that's really all I totally agree now, here's the thing. I might take a hard left turn on you, Jimmy. Like we've been, I feel like we've been compadres this segment. It's almost like, you know, my arm is around your shoulder. Your arm is around my shoulder as we're getting in for a group photo, that type of thing. Yeah, like I'm it's just, just been, taking the photo, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you can add in here, Eddie. You're taking the photo. You're, you're joining in. But this is where, this is where you might, you know, might result in uh, verbal fisticuffs here. But I truly believe this. Well, I was doing this deep dive and looking at quarterback situations and how it's been much worse for other teams than the Colts. I, I just, I went back to the year Wentz was with the Colts. And I just, again, I looked at his numbers and I compared it to a couple of quarterbacks last season. Carson Wentz in 2021, comparable 
to Trevor Lawrence of the Jags last year, statistically. Very comparable. Like passer rating, very close. Wentz was uh, 94.6. Trevor Lawrence last year, 95.2. Very similar. Wentz actually threw two more touchdown passes, one fewer interception. Lawrence had more passing yards, better completion percentage, but pretty, pretty close. Pretty close. And I just stopped and I thought for a second. Two quarterbacks in the same division, and Carson Wentz, the amount of flack that guy got, it was unbelievable. And what did you hear last year with Trevor Lawrence? Man, this guy's really turning a corner. Wow, look at him. He's really... Really starting to flourish over here. Look, Doug Peterson got a real head coach, and look at him go. And it was positive, positive, positive. And their numbers, very, very similar statistically. And I just want to say this, Jimmy. Carson Wentz, his one year with the Indianapolis Colts, is the most underrated season in the freaking history of the NFL. I'm not telling you he walked on water. I'm not saying that. But all you heard was, oh, this guy threw for X amount of yards per game. It sucked. Oh, but remember the Titans game, and he did throw a pick six, and that was embarrassing. But it was one thing after another. No credit. He had Michael Pittman Jr., and what? And what did he have out there? And he gave you 27 touchdowns and seven picks, and they couldn't run that guy out of town fast enough. Most underrated season ever, ever is what I truly believe. Hey, look, I, I you can let stats tell whatever story you'd like. I mean that that, that that's point A, point B, and I'm I'm so <laughs> and it's not your fault. It's just because Colts fans are so tired of hearing it of uh-huh. about about these great numbers that he put up. And was it all his fault? No, it was not all his fault. Just like it wasn't any of the quarterbacks that they've had over these last four or five years. Solely their fault. There are certain flaws offensively that I'm willing to bend the knee on and say, you know what? Maybe he didn't. Maybe he got too much hate. I'm not gonna say he didn't get enough credit. Maybe he got too much hate while he was here. However, huh? unlike the Trevor Lawrence comparison you just mm-hmm. brought up, mm-hmm. you have seen now countless seasons of tape of okay here's some nice stats but what was he looking at with that throw did he not see the linebacker in the middle of the field like you have enough body of work where there's a reason like you we can't have this conversation about levis right because it's not a fair one for him for carson wentz there's a reason nobody is jumping anymore to try to bring him on their roster and there's a reason that the colts after kind of getting fleeced to an extent by the Eagles to bring him in, sent him off like damaged goods because they wanted nothing to do with him, and the commanders cut him a season later. It's well, over for listen, him. It's done. I'm just talking about 2021. That's it. I'm not talking about Carson Hang Wentz last year. Hang I'm not banner. talking about Carson Wentz going forward. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm just talking about one season, and you're trying to muddy the waters. You are Jimmy Muddy Waters Cook over here. Like I'll give you another one. What's Carson, the accomplishment? Carson, 27 and 7? Like, I need to be happy for him that he had that year? That's like, way better than he was ever given credit for. I'll give you another comparison. Look at Justin Herbert last year, Chargers quarterback. Wentz, in the 21 season, higher passer rating, more touchdown passes, fewer interceptions. Like, he had a better passer rating than Justin Herbert last year. Look at the weapons Justin Herbert had last season. He's got Austin Eckler out of the backfield. He had 107 catches. He's got Keenan Allen. He's got Mike Williams. He's got a decent tight end in Gerald Everett. He's got real weapons. Carson Wentz had Michael Pittman Jr. And all I hear is trash being talked. It's insane. I'm not telling you he was sensational. I'm telling you he's way better that season, that one season, than he's ever gotten credit for. It's amazing to me. 
It turns into, oh, you can make the stats tell whatever story. No, you can't. It yes, wasn't all can. in garbage time. You, no, I mean, I mean, I mean you, you, can, you can factually manipulate. I'm not saying you're doing this, but you can. Like, that's not an opinion. You can manipulate numbers to say any story you want to. You can find a stat on just about anything. I'm not saying you're doing that here, but you can. The other point, though, is that when you go back, and I'm not doing it because uh-huh. I, I've burnt my soul enough, and Colts fans have too, rewatching Uh-oh. the travesty that was snap after snap <laughs> with that guy under center that season. Were snap the numbers great? The Did he have a couple of nice throws? Snap. Sure, he threw 27 Th- touchdowns. That's this great. This is what I'm talking. It was a, wait, wait, wait. It was a travesty snap after snap, and somehow he ended up in the middle in between all those travesties. 27 the touchdowns. The feelings I've picks. had about Carson Wentz, even in that season. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) has never like you compare the Herbert situation like maybe his passer rating was better I've never had such mind-numbing frustration towards any of the other quarterbacks (laughs) you listed except Carson Wentz I haven't maybe that means I don't like him I don't know I mean I've heard him do interviews he seems like a nice guy but I've I've never had the same type of annoyance and frustration from a quarterback that we've talked about in this segment other than Carson Wentz I haven't this man man. was a bona fide scrub he can't play (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> most underrated season ever. Now, now here's the thing. Let's just end it on this. Because, yes, uh, like, let's use Blake Bortles. Remember when Blake Bortles threw for 35 touchdown passes? And yeah. that season, they were awful. A lot of that was in garbage time, okay? If that's the same situation with Carson Wentz from the 2021 season, okay. But that wasn't the case. And so when I hear you can make the stats tell any story you want, I, I can't like manipulate 27 touchdowns in seven picks. Like I'll give you an example. Where's a, a quarterback that didn't have a great uh, touchdown to INT? Uh, I'll pick um, uh, Russell Wilson. Okay, Russell Wilson last year, 16 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. I can't manipulate those numbers into saying, well, hey, Russ threw 27 touchdowns and seven picks. Like, you can't manipulate the numbers themselves, right? So when you have 27 and seven, all that didn't come in garbage time. Okay, it's as if he he did everything. Every little yard, every little touchdown, every little good thing was somehow in garbage time, and it was just a travesty snap to snap. Otherwise, it, it they took a step back from where they were the year before without <laughs> much turnover on the roster. Like, I mean, that's like, not that, that, again, that's, he pays the price for everything. But he did like that. I'm, that's not that's the truth. They took a step Ugh. back. They missed the playoffs and they didn't have that drastic of roster roster turnover when Rivers was there compared to Wentz. They just final didn't. final yeah. eight games of the year. He had 10 touchdowns to four interceptions, six of the eight games under 200 yards. You can't sit there and tell me <laughs> that what... they lost or won games because of that. You cannot win in the National Football League without throwing for over 200 yards. And he yards. got outplayed by Trevor Lawrence last game of the year. I'm telling you that 27-7, and seven, the way you guys talk, to, talk about it, is as if he threw 7-27. and 27. It's, it's, like it's, Because that's the, the only sticking around. point it's to as overinflated. you can positively take away. Oh, it's you as guys, overly inflated as the Blake Bortles numbers. You, it really you guys, is. Oh, no, it, it's not even close. It, it, you guys it, it, are it making the same my argument to for me, me the whole year. Oh, you guys are outrageous. And Bortles right. made it to an AFC Championship game. 
I mean, not that year, not that season, but I yeah. mean, over the course of his body of work, you know, like you <laughs> okay, needed him okay. to lead your team down to win a game against the Las Vegas Raiders. You take an L. He can't generate enough offense in the final game of the year against the <laughs> team who has no admiration in winning. Never forgive him for that. If I'm 26 to 11, most Zero underrated excuse. season in the history <laughs> of the league. And you guys are proving my you point. had me and tell that line, by the way, it's I was true. willing to come it's on board truth. and tell the of all time. Most underrated season. They didn't even make the playoffs. It doesn't he matter. Looked, he looked. Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. You can still have a completely underrated season even without making the playoffs. He looked like every criticism that's ever been thrown his way against that Jaguars game week 17. And it's, you'll never it's take one that game. out of my It's one game. It's Did one, the defense show up? It's one to get to the playoffs. I need you as my quarterback to be was there for the me. And he was the only guy not. who screwed up he that game? He was not. He no, was not okay. the only one. What did Jonathan one. Taylor do that game exactly? Which Nothing. game are we speaking What did the defense of? do that game? The last game of the year. Nothing. Where, where, where early on you had a back-breaking Carson Wentz pick and you knew, here we go, they're not going to be able to do it. It was that game. I'll never yeah. forgive him for it if I'm a Colts fan. Ever. Taylor had 15 for 77. He averaged five yards a Whoa. carry. Wow, 77 yards. That is, man, what a day. I take it all back. <laughs> <laughs> Five yards of carry, pretty nice. Five and a half, excuse me. Don't want to disrespect him. Poor Jonathan Taylor. I take it all back. Jonathan <laughs> Taylor, he rushed for 204 touchdowns over there. Man, all right, we got to pay some bills, and we got a quiz right around the corner. We might have time for one of the, the five questions. Uh, it's Brian, though, and Jimmy, the Carson Wentz 2021 hater. Wear Cook. that proudly. Put it on a T-shirt. Uh, 93.5, 107.5, <laughs> the fan. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Want to welcome in Bruce Weber, Big Ten Network college basketball analyst here to talk some Final Four. Coach, I was just informed from an inside source. You have stepped out of a restaurant to talk to us. We really appreciate that. And I'm just curious, what are you dining on right now? Oh, I'm in Texas. I'm at Houston. and So we just had good Mexican at Irma's in Texas. It's big time. What's the, uh, what's the go-to Mexican dish for you? Oh, I I love the enchiladas. If I can get that, it's it that's a special treat. I have a daughter in Dallas, and anytime we go to Dallas, we're going to all the Mexican every night. By the way, Coach, uh, it just made me think. I used to do a show in uh, the Portland area, and we would have on Utah head football coach Kyle Winningham from time to time. And this is a true story. It was a running thing on the show. He loves Mexican food. It's his, his favorite out of everything. So uh, maybe you and Coach Kyle Winningham of the Utah Utes have something in common there. Yeah, I just. I mean, I, it's just, there's one thing you get your, your regular restaurants or your chain restaurants, and then you get the authentic. It's always good. Coach, what's this week like for, for former coaches and, and, and current coaches perhaps maybe aren't involved within the big dance itself but are being a part of this celebration of the college hoop season uh, throughout this weekend in Houston? Well, these are, this is our convention. Obviously, we have our National Association of Basketball Coaches, NABC, and um, we have our meetings and clinics and, you know, just a lot of variety of things. And, it, and it's kind of up to you. You can come and, and you know, have fun and, and, you know, just see people, or you can actually go and, um, you know, go to meetings and, and hopefully get better as a coach. So it, it's a little different. Obviously, when you're young, it, it's it's so much excitement. I still remember my first one in Seattle um, years and years ago. And, and, you know, you're just in awe of being part of that. And, um, 
you know, and then as you get a little older, probably, you know, you, you're not staying up as late and not having as quite as much fun. There's a lot going on, you know, and there's, but there's nothing like it when you bring a team here. And I had the good fortune, uh, the one time at Illinois to be part of it. And it's just, uh, amazing amazing experience it's a little bit like uh, i don't know i would imagine what it's like getting ready for a super bowl if it's your first super bowl appearance and what the week is like leading up to it and the lessons you learn should you make it again like the lessons you learned from that final four trip what might you have done differently the next time you would have gone well you know it's ironic that you bring that up because one of the things i did do to did do um, on that Sunday, I I called uh, Jim Calhoun. I called Rick Majerus. I called uh, different coaches I knew that had been there and just asked for their help and their suggestions. And um, you know, it, you know, and they just you know, one the big thing they told me: make sure your kids enjoy it because it's you know they. You know, one of them told me I think that they had. You know, the one time they went, they went and hid their kids out and didn't let them enjoy the experience. And then the kids got, you know, got through it and they lost. And then it's like, oh, my goodness, we didn't even let them. You know, and then others say, you got it's that fine line. And I, I, I talked to Nigel Pack the other day, our little guard from, you know, that played for us at Kansas State. And obviously he's with Miami. And I just said, it's so important that you keep your focus on the task of the and that's winning the game and getting to the championship. And, you know, it can be overwhelming. It's just there's so much attention. There's uh, The NCAA does an unbelievable job. The banquets, the, the media, you know, all the stuff. But you got you have to make sure that you keep your focus on the game and the task. And, but at the end, I told them, I hope your coach lets you enjoy it at the same time. And and that's why the maturity of the players in the you know in the locker room is so so important. And they're you know you see it sometimes their teams just get their butts kicked in the in the final four and they you know they, it's that final four I don't know what you'd call it they just got overwhelmed by being there and they weren't ready for it. Coach, how different is that process of preparing for the Final Four with that that week off that you have between the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight to the Final Four by comparison to that week off you have between the first and second round of the Sweet 16? Well, it's it's interesting because every week, and I talked about this on a couple to a couple other people last week. Each week, you the attention gets more and more. You know, you went from you know 68 teams, and you got a little piece of that attention. Then you get down to 16 teams and you get more of the attention and now it's four. So you're getting, you know, everybody in the country. Um, it, it's so much different. And, and, and again, you can be overwhelmed. You, you want to do some of the media, but, and the NCAA does a great job of organizing that. But at the same time, you can't do every radio station. You can't do every, you know, everyone that wants to talk to you and, and, you know, that's where your sports information guys and, and your administrators got to help you with some of that and, you know, making sure, again, that you're focused on the game and the task at hand. 
He's Bruce Weber, Big Ten Network college basketball analyst, joining us here on The Fan. I'm so glad you mentioned Nigel Pack because he went to high school here in the Indianapolis area, and we had the pleasure of interviewing him on this show the day before his 29-point game against Houston. And with you having your experience with him at Kansas State, what would you say about Nigel Pack, the player, the person, and your experiences with the guy? Well, he's an unbelievable you know, person, a great kid, a great, great family. Uh, you know, just can't say enough about Nigel and his family, just really good people. And, you know, it's such a, a cool experience for me to coach him. Obviously, he had the huge year for us. He had a good freshman year and then he even got better last year and, and huge games. And, you know, just I, I feel sad that I didn't get to coach him for all four years. But, you know, it, the year has been a little little bit up and down for him. He's had some really nice moments, and then they have such a talented team. Uh, he didn't get quite the looks, but obviously he got a chance to have his shining moment last week and was really, really proud of him and him making uh, – actually, our two guards – both were the players, regional players of the, you know, of the Sweet 16 or Elite Eight or whatever you call it, and uh, Marquise Noel and and Nigel. So that was that was pretty cool for us. Coach Bruce Weber, nice enough to take some time with us in DriveHuber.com studios. Coach, speaking of great people. Uh, one of our favorite names here in the state of Indiana and one of the great names in college basketball right now is Purdue head coach Matt Painter. I know that Purdue means a lot to you on your coaching path. Uh, just wondering, have you talked to coach since the loss to Fairleigh Dickinson by chance? Um, I think three or four times. <laughs> to be honest. And, you know, obviously I you know co- recruited Matt, coached him. Um, he was my assistant for five years and and you know we had you know we you know we're we're good friends and and um you know it, you, as a coach and a, and as a friend you always want to be there for them everybody has somebody they need to talk to and um you know i i text them the night of and and then a, a day later talk to him and and i've talked to him a couple times since and you know it it it's it's a killer it's hard you know for him and um you know i think one of the biggest things, you know, people all say, oh, how do you deal with all the, you know, the media, you know, attention, the stress, all that. I, I think it, to me, it always was. And I think for Matt, too, it's your own, your own pressure that you put on yourself because you put so much time into it. It means so much to you. Your players mean so much. And, and that's when it's heartbreaking when you don't, you know, have the success that you, you, you had hoped or anticipated. But he, he did an unbelievable job. I told him this. You know, the first thing I said, you know, please do not kill yourself because you lost that game because you you did an unbelievable job. You overachieved. You got so much out of those guys. I mean, think about Zach, where, how far he came from a year ago. You're two, playing two freshman guards. Now, should they lose a Fairleigh Dickinson? No, but that is the the craziness of March Madness and, and the pain, you know, the – the March Madness brings a lot of, of joy, but it also brings a lot of pain. And the sad part, he had to experience that pain this year. And But I hope, um, I saw it with Tony Bennett with Virginia. Um, you know, Tony had that tough loss to a 16. And guess what happened? The next year they won the championship. So, uh, you know, I, I'm hoping sometimes you got to go through growing pains to get there. And I hope that happens with Matt and his group. 
You know, Bruce, I'm so curious how you go about communicating with players that you no longer coach right now for one reason or the other. Nigel Pack transferred. Um, like You're no longer at Kansas State, but Marquise Noel is doing his thing. So I know you have relationships with players, and you might have some communication, but how do, how do you describe the line of like not coaching them out of respect to their current coach, right? And and just talking about talking to them as guys that you love and that you used to coach. Yeah, I, you know, I obviously uh, you know Marquez being at Kansas State and me coming from there and him still there, I tried to keep my distance. You know, a lot of you know some encouraging texts, congratulations, texts, all that type of stuff. But, and people around him, you know, stayed in contact because I didn't want to get in the middle of, you know, anything that he was doing or their coaches were doing. Uh, obviously, Nigel's a little different than all the other guys that we coach. They're at different schools and, um, you know, tried to watch games when I could when when he was playing and, and stayed in touch with his uh, parents and, you know, more, you know, when he's – if he's having a, t- a tough day or a tough week, you know, encouraging and, and you know, get say get back in that gym and get work on your game and all that stuff. And uh, But, yeah, I, I stayed in contact with pretty much all our guys and, you know, some more than others because you were a little closer or they are more apt to communicate. And um, I mean, that goes, you know, that's – part of our job and what I loved and why I got into coaching is, you know, I got guys that go back 40 some years and we're still talking to Purdue guys from back in the eighties. I had lunch with one the other day that is zoom with, uh, uh, Russell Cross and Steve Reed and Greg Eifert and Jim Rowinski a few weeks ago. That was great to connect. And my SIU guys, they honored our sweet 16 team uh, at a game about a month ago. So, you know, those are all just, uh, you know, those are great special experiences. Those guys are so appreciative, you know, to continue cheering for their schools, and they have great pride in, you know, what they did and accomplished through those their their careers. Coach Bruce Weber taking some time with us. Coach, I'm going to make you put on the analyst hat here for a second. Enjoyed having you on Big Ten Network throughout the season. But the, the biggest talking point continues now, 23 years straight, without a national title in the conference. Do you have thoughts as to why that is, as why the Big Ten's had such a hard time the last two decades breaking through? Well, you know, I think there's a combination of reasons. Um, you know, I, I, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I think there's uh, the leagues that, you know, and I was had the chance to be in the Big 12, and, and I, I talked with Matt Painter and some other coaches in the league, Tom Izzo. Um, the defenses are different in some of the other leagues. Uh, you know, the I think the athleticism uh, may be a little different. Uh, there's no doubt the geographic uh, recruiting regions uh, it's changed in the Midwest you, you know you're you're if you're in Michigan you're Tom Izzo or Jawan Howard uh, the Flint uh, you know the great years where Flint had players in Detroit and that those population base have changed if you're in Illinois what like I was um, you, it, it's changed you know Peoria and Springfield and some of those other communities and even Chicago doesn't produce the, the talent that was there. So, And where are those people now? They're in Texas. They're in the population bases in Texas and Florida and the South have grown so much. So I think you have, you know, so if you recruit your region, your geographic region, you probably don't have quite the, um, 
you know, number of players that you're recruiting. So I think a little bit of that, uh, you know, and, and some of it's just good fortune and luck. And, uh, you know, Michigan State, I thought, really had a in the final four so you know but you, you hope over a course of time that uh, the ball's going to bounce their way obviously I, I i didn't purdue and indiana i thought had great chances you know i i didn't know final four but i thought they could advance in the tournament and a lot of that is just matchups and uh obviously indiana ran into a, a tough miami team and purdue had the, the the pain and suffering of dealing with their their game Hey, Bruce, um, last one for you. When you look at the Final Four and you look at the matchups, who do you like on Saturday? And also, which team of the four do you think presents the the most problems if you're coaching another team going up against them? And I mainly watch the Big Ten, you know, as you're sitting in the hotel or something when I'm in Chicago and watch a few games, and I got a chance to watch Miami more because of Nigel, but... Uh, just watching this last few weeks, I like UConn. Uh, and, yeah. you know, I, I didn't know enough about them. Obviously, they hit a tough stretch and, and, and during the year. They started out really well and then had a little bit of a tough. But, they, man, they're playing well. They they run good stuff. Um, they move the basketball. Um, they seem to have some, you know, athleticism and some size. Um, I really like them. But, you know, it, it they would be the one I think is the toughest. Each one has a, you know, Miami has some talent. They can make plays, um, and and they have guys that can make plays at the end of the game, multiple guys that can, you know, including Nigel and um, Long, and, you know, they have several guys. And then San Diego State, uh, you know, Brian Dutcher and Steve Fisher, they brought the Midwest Big Ten toughness out west, and they guard. They are tough. And, you know, they, they defend. They're physical. Um, so that gives them a chance. And, and then, you know, the Cinderella story, obviously FAU is just amazing. I, I, you know, I thought, ah, the first weekend, but then they came through the second weekend. Um, they got to have a pretty good team. They are older and they do guard and they do have some toughness. Well, Bruce, really appreciate the time, man. We'll let you get back to the enchiladas. We hope they're not <laughs> cold now. That would be awful. <laughs> Okay, I appreciate it. Great to be on, and hopefully an exciting weekend of basketball. Thanks, Coach. Absolutely, Bruce. Thanks for the time, man. All right. Take care. Thanks. Bye. You too. There he is, Bruce Weber, Big Ten Network college basketball analyst.